This is the uh, time of year that always caught me off guard when I was a child. I always used to try to catch the buds of the trees right before they opened. I, I wanted to just catch those flowering trees just before the buds opened. I wanted to see them bursting, but not quite open. And I would go out and check the trees, and they weren't open yet, and they weren't quite ready yet. And I'd go out and check them again, and I'd go out and check them again, and then one day I'd forget about it. I'd be driving in the car on the way to school or on the way to church or on the way to track or wherever else, and there was a tree just busting wide open in all of its glory. The cherry trees were, were, were blooming, or the, the red buds had come out, or the flowering dogwoods were starting to dress the forest. And I, I was always lost in wonder, it, one, that I would look for it, couldn't quite catch it. I, I know a little bit now of why that I didn't know then, but I was more caught up in the wonder of the beauty of it. It was as if the whole world was waking up, as far as I could tell, stretching its arms, yawning, you know, and just breathing out life. I, I, I'm still caught up with a certain degree of wonder every time this time of year. When I ride, though, in a car with adults, I'll, you know, I'll point it out. I'll say, well, look at those red buds. Look at the almost neon color. Look at that gorgeous. And I'll usually get some sort of reply like, yep. Or, or look, look at all of those Cleveland pears just lined up. You've seen them, those white flowering trees. They're almost shaped like a pear. They're everywhere. They're just glorious right now. Look at how beautiful that is. Yeah, will be summer before you know it. Just this flat, numb response. But when I'm driving with kids, and I say, look at that row of daffodils. There was nothing there a week ago. Look at that little orange in the middle and the beautiful... The kids always, always, bing, wow, look at that. Or can we stop? Hey, can we pull over? Can we take a picture? What's the name of that? I, I hope today that at least one part of what this chapel accomplishes is a small recovery of our childlike wonder at the miracle of the world. If you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do. I do think there's something about the physical Bible. I hope you'll keep bringing it to chapel. Those of you who do, those of you who don't, I understand. But there's something less distracting about this book than other things. If you have a tablet or a phone, I don't mind you reading, but I'm sure you'll be doing other things too. If you have a physical Bible, I'd love for you to pull it out. If not, you can scroll along. In Genesis chapter one, how, how else would you start? A creation care week, <laughs> except for Genesis chapter 1. Read with me. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and there was evening and there was morning, day one. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. It was so God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning, day two. 
And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place. Let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land. And the gathered, seas, gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was? Yeah. Good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees in the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was, yeah, and there was evening and there was morning, day three. And then I want to skip down, if you'll allow me to, because just for the sake of time, to 24, verse 24. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. The word of God for the people of God. I want to share with you a few things that you may have never noticed about that passage before. You may have noticed one or two of these, but you've probably not noticed all of these. First of all, did you notice that the creation of the universe is restricted only to verse 1? Everything else is zeroing in now on our habitat. Of course, this book is primarily about God's relationship with humanity. That's what the whole thing's about. So only one verse given to all of the creation of the cosmos, and it's shrouded in mystery. No explanation of how, no explanation of when, just except in the beginning. In the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth done. Now let's move on, zooming in on planet earth. And then the activity of God is repeatedly described in a very peculiar way. So God creates, and our theological category, not necessarily explicitly stated here, we get it from elsewhere, this, that God creates not from matter laying around, but out of nothing, God creates the universe. And then it says what God does is he permits things with a command. It's this mix of it's got to happen and yet I'm letting it happen. Let there be light. And there was light. Let the waters be separated from the waters. Let them be. And it was so. Let the land gather together and the seas gather together and separate them. Let the light be separated. So what, what's going on is God has already created the universe. And apparently within that universe is a vast amount of potential options of the way things could be. And then God has this sort of holding back going on. And he releases, releases things in a particular direction for a particular purpose. We're only seeing what is. We're not seeing what could have been. We're not even allowed to see what could have been. We're only seeing what is. And this passage, which served for a long time as, a, as the Christian world's understanding as the impetus and drive for all of the fields of science, shows us that all of what science does is study what God has allowed to be, not what could have been. So God releases, first of all, light, and releases this separation and boundary. So he releases creation with in boundaries for the sake of his purposes and the glory of God. 
And then notice what else he does. Not only is there potential in the universe that he releases in a certain way, let there be light. It's not as though God took some big cosmic-sized finger, stuck it down into the, to the gaseous ooze that was the Earth's atmosphere, pulled back a hole, and light shone through. He, he released a certain set of habits in the universe that we call laws, that they're just, they're just sort of the, the, the physical representation of the consistent faithfulness of God. The reason we can write up things that we call the laws of physics is because God is consistently, faithfully releasing the universe in a certain way. Hebrews 1.3 says that the word of God sustains all things and holds all things together. That is the Son of God, Jesus holds all things together, and that this is just a certain way that it is. Now, keep going, though. He says, and God said, let the land, oh, man, this is amazing. Have you ever noticed this? Let the land, he's releasing the land, produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees in the land that bear fruit with seed in it. So not only does the universe have this vast set of potentialities that he releases in certain ways, the land on earth is endowed with generativity. God has placed within it the capacity to bring forth vegetation. That ought to blow your mind. This isn't a scientific textbook. It's not a scientific text. This is a poetic description of, of, of theology. It's a poetic theology, a description of what God is doing. But man, is it rich with all kinds of stuff. God releases the land to produce vegetation. It, it, it's not as though, you know, one, one day he says, Lumos. <laughs> no. He releases light. It's not as though one day he says, Patronus, and a stag runs. He, he releases, and it says it again in verse 24, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. This ought to blow your mind. You haven't thought about it deeply if it doesn't yet. If you think that's basic, you're not thinking. And it goes even farther. It repeats. In the passage, over and over again, plants bearing fruit with seeds within them according to their kinds. Living creatures able to produce according to their kinds. This is miraculous. God doesn't just have endowed in the universe amazing potentials we haven't yet seen. God doesn't just put within the land capacity to produce life that is just mind-boggling in its diversity. God creates life that has the power to continue generating life. And if you think I'm excited about it, I am. I'm spitting everywhere. <laughs> to generate life in perpetuity. As long as the conditions remain faithful. One tree, one fruit has the potential over time if the conditions remain the same and if the conditions are favorable everywhere to cover the entire planet with a forest. One blade of grass has within it the potential if the conditions are favorable and left alone and, con and the conditions are favorable everywhere to blanket the entire earth with green. You've never seen an ordinary piece of clover. You have never witnessed a common piece of grass. Within it is the miracle of God. Okay. How do I explain this? None of you have a laptop that you paid enough money to get, and we were 
inventive enough to create, that has within it the capacity to produce two or three laptops. Which over time, if, if conditions remain favorable, will produce each two or three more laptops, which if left alone would pro provide all of humanity with a hundred laptops each if we wanted them. No matter how smart your phone is, no matter how advanced your watch is, no matter how far we push our technology forward, the best we've been able to do is copy and mimic and test tube grow something that God endowed with miraculous capacity for life, generating just miraculous stuff. Does this not blow your mind? I mean, happy Monday. I just wish I could pull the screen of dullness and hard-heartedness back from your already adult eyes and say, would you look at the miracle of the world? I'm not a good photographer. And I had really great photography that I'd pulled together and videography that would have blown your mind. But I decided that's not what I really want you to do. I want you to be amateur people too. I want you to go out and find what ordinary people, just, you know, dumb people like me can find. It won't follow the rule of three. The aperture will be wrong. The ISO will be off. Leave me alone. Go take a Jerry Nelson class. You'll love it. But this is an Alsubo tree. A pretty rare tree prized by the English and the French and the Spanish navies back in the Napoleonic Wars especially. Go to your history class if you don't know when that was. We nearly killed every Alsubo tree on the planet. Luckily, bats fly to rather untrammeled places. This tree probably sprung from the sea, dropped from the mouth of a bat 200 years ago in a really far out of the way place. And that's my boy at the base of it holding up one of its leaves. We sat there and stared at that. He never wanted to leave. He just stared up at the tree, wide-eyed. They, they would cut down these trees because you could make 90-foot, 100-foot, 120-foot masts for their men of war so that they could go around and conquer more of the world and enslave more people and steal more things from others. It was very necessary. That's the Alsubo tree. It's an entire micro-ecosphere, vines, insects, birds, bats, um, lichen, algae, moss. It's a miracle. This uh, is a, what we call in my family the Hidden Falls. Me, my son, and my oldest daughter uh, stumbled across places where we almost died. Dawson, that was his favorite part. He said, Mom, I almost died. <laughs> 75-foot drop off of, a, uh, off of a sheer drop, and he, his foot slipped, and I grabbed him. Son. But we finally found this waterfall, 40-foot drop waterfall in multiple cascading sections, and it had an overhang that you could crawl behind. I got behind the roar and sat back in there with my camera and took a quick picture. It was like a constant carpet of diamonds just falling right in front of my eyes. There's no way to describe the miracle. Pictures won't do it. If you're not there, you won't get it. This is just a dim echo of the real thing. Pure, clean water coming out of a spring higher up in the mountain. You could drink straight out of that and be fine. I was supposed to be taking pictures of things that were built by humanity a long time ago that had crumbled by now. When I was at this spot, this is Pergamum in, in Asia Minor where, where Paul stood. And, but what I, I found was the most compelling piece there was not what men had built but had crumbled, but what God had left to continue reproducing. So this is probably about what this view looked like when Paul was there 2,000 years ago. 
and seeds upon seeds upon seeds upon seeds. These might even be the same kind of poppies growing up on that rocky outcropping at the edge of Pergamum. This is a, a tiny little area that is sustainably farmed. This, the hill that you're seeing there is covered with invasive weeds. It looks beautiful, looks like wheat, but it's not. I, I, maybe something eats it, but it just got all over me, all up and down, down on my shoe. It took me hours to get all the burrs out. But beyond it, a little bit dark, sorry about that, you can see these hand-tilled, hand-laid um, irrigation tracks for this beautiful section of land that sustains multiple families. And it, it's just a gorgeous picture of what the earth can be like when we take care of it. This is just a simple thistle. We used to beat these down with sticks when I was a kid in North Carolina. And it's gorgeous. Within that, trust me, is the capacity to cover entire fields. Have you seen the miracle of the world lately? I mean truly seen the miracle of the world lately. Which takes me to Genesis 1. 26. So God said, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the, all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. It's kind of scary to talk about this as a preacher. Because way over here on your left is a group of people who love the earth for the earth's sake. And when you go far enough, they worship Gaia and actually do bend their knees and have all kinds of pagan rituals surrounding it still to this day. But even as you approach that, the love of the earth for the earth's sake has all kinds of weirdness that people were going to be mad about. You might even think that I'm already there. And way over here on your right are those people who use the earth for their own sake all the way to the point of abusing it so that someone like Ann Coulter would say, I, I just can't even believe she said this. God gave us the earth. We have dominion over the plants and the animals and the fish. God gave it to us and God said, take it, rape it. It's yours. And it seems like no matter what we can say, some of you will think we're way over there. And some of you will think we're way over there. And listen to what happens throughout this week as you go through this creation care, all these sets of events and documentaries. Sometimes some people will be on one extent or the other. And you'll hear your friends respond with things that sound like one or the other. That's not a biblical understanding of creation care. Somewhere in the, mirror, in the middle is the appreciation of the miracle of the world, the caretaking of the miracle of the world, the human being who says this is a precious gift from God to be tended and cared for for the sake of humanity and for the glory of God. I'm not just supposed to preserve it. I'm supposed to improve it. That's what God tells us in Genesis. And yet... Unlike Christ who came to have, give us life so that we might have it and have it abundantly, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
show you another picture. This is from Carlos Rosario, one of the top 10 snorkeling spots in the Caribbean. Maybe someday you'll get to go there. This is a picture from 2011. These look like really beautiful rocks or plants, but they're actually millions of tiny creatures. They call them polyps. These little tiny creatures that coagulate together and and combine themselves together in in, in, uh, 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 communities, colonies of life that will even, they look like plants, but they'll reach out and grab things as they swim by. It's really, really an amazingly beautiful thing. Carlos Rosario has one of the most diverse sets of corals you'll find anywhere in the world. One of the top 10 spots to go in the Caribbean on any list. That's brain coral in the middle because it kind of looks like brain. And then you have this fan coral, all the kinds. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's a miracle to me. That's 2011. This is 2017, just a few weeks ago when I went and took my camera to take a picture of it. One degree temperature increase in the ocean's water starts to blanch the coral. Two degrees temperature increase on average over a year begins to bleach it. Three degrees and it's dead. Just three degrees. The last time the earth had this level of carbon dioxide in it, actually 33% less than this level, this is record level, we've never been this place before. The last time it had this, it was 11 degrees warmer on our planet. We're heading there, and we're heading there fast, fast, dead. I had to swim for a long time to find a piece of almost alive brain coral, almost vibrant brain coral. It's dying. Look at that. Look at the picture again. This is what it was in 2011. This is what it is right now. And it's not just happening at Carlos Rosario off the islands of Calabria. It's happening in Fiji. It's happening in Thailand. It's happening everywhere you ask about the coral reef. It's happening everywhere in the world. Go watch Chasing Ice, the documentary, and watch how the glaciers are receding so fast in the last 10 years. They've receded farther than in the last 200. We even invented a new type of carbon pollution. I mean, it's amazing what's going on. And it's not just the carbon dioxide that's the problem. It's the methane released excuse me here, from the flatulence of cows because you eat so much meat. This is a fish, a parrotfish. That's what makes the sand on the beach that you love. It eats the coral and poops it out. Wriggle your toes in that. (laughs) Against a desert landscape. I followed it for a while trying to find a place where it would have living coral and there's only little tiny bits left here and there. Mostly, it's bare. So I went other places trying to find a spot that would look anything like that original picture. Could find nothing. Dead, dead, dead. That's just one example of how humanity in recent history has been more like the enemy who comes to take more than his share Kill what he doesn't need to survive and destroy for those who come after so that nothing's left. Did you ever have a selfish sibling if you had a sibling who did? Did you have a selfish sibling? And at some point you had to share a milkshake? I don't know if you ever had to do that. And, and, and they're, you know, they're, they're slurping, slurping. And they take two-thirds of the milkshake, you take one-third. And then when it gets down all the way down to the bottom, they're... Would you stop? That's gross. It's done. That's us. That is us. And it's sin. It's greed. It's gluttony. It's sin. 
Thank God he wove grace into the world, two-thirds of the, ocean, two-thirds of the world covered in ocean, that moderating capacity of the ocean, which is getting taxed out. But thank God it's there. Thank God that if we repent, things can turn around. We reverse the ozone hole. Thank God if we all work together, we can change things. Well, what should you do? That's what you should be asking. I, I know that sometimes with things like this, they seem too large for us to do much of anything with them. You could go online and read the Lausanne Conference on Christian Response to Environmental Crisis. They had a whole conference of Christian theologians, and they give you a list of things to do. Just go look it up, the Lausanne Conference, and read all the things and do those. But let me give you just a couple specific things that you might want to do. First of all, just go around and notice the miracle of the world this next week. That may not sound like a significant thing to say, but if you appreciate the world, you will not be able to help but worship God and you'll treasure it as a gift. You don't get a really expensive remote control truck and the same day at Christmas drive it into the lake. When you know you have a good gift, you treasure the good gift. Somebody doesn't give you a handmade piece of art signed by them, the original artist, and you say, hey, great, wanna go play football? You treasure the gift. Just notice the miracle of the world. You don't realize how beautiful the area around you is, I know. Go to Matter Park, find a way into the Mississinawa River, hike out and catch a woods. Find a place where you can get in God's creation and truly see for once the miracle of the world with childlike wonder. That's the first thing. Second, change something drastically. And I mean it. It'll seem drastic to you. I might say, well, that's not very drastic. But to you, it'll seem drastic. I'm not even going to mention things that would be beyond your reach. How about this? You go back to your townhouse, and it's set at 75. You set it at 68. You wear more clothes. Your roommates will appreciate it. (laughs) And this summer, when you used to set it at 68, set it at 76. See if you can do just fine. You can. Or how about this? Eat 50% less meat. You'll be healthier, you'll have less heart attacks, you'll live longer, you'll have more energy, you'll be exposed to less risk for all kinds of bacteria. I don't even have time to explain to you everything that's written in the book, How to Not Die. But if I could, I would. It's a great book, go get How to Not Die and you'll eat 50% less meat, I promise you. Just cut it in half. Easiest way to do that is say, well did I eat meat last meal? Okay, not this meal. Why not? That doesn't hurt you. Gosh, that's hardly even worth calling fasting. The rest of the world calls us meat gluttons, which in some community is the highest form of sin. If we went into their community to try to lead them to Christ, they would reject us as the worst sinners they've ever seen. Environmental disasters are affecting the poor more than anyone else. If the ocean raises another two, three feet, the Maldives will be buried. Cities all over the world where the poor are living in warm climates because they're able to survive there will have to immigrate somewhere. Where will they be allowed to immigrate? And the Christians in the world are using up the most resources, causing them the most pain. Why would they come to Christ? You gluttons. You hypocrites. I know I'm speaking directly. Is that okay? We have to change. God has given us a beautiful gift, laid it right in front of us. It's a miracle, and I'm doing this on purpose. 
and we're crushing it. May the Lord have mercy on us. And he will. If we change the way we live, I guarantee you it won't be sad. We'll find the abundance of the world to amaze us. If we live in simplicity, we'll have way more than enough and we'll be happier. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these students. I know in some ways, in many ways, I'm preaching to some of the choir. They care deeply. Many of them do. But for those of us who feel resistance and hardness of heart against anything like this, Lord, I pray that you would show us your true word and help us to live according to it. We want to be caretakers of the earth you gave us for the purposes you desire, for the glory of your name, so that the the rocks and trees can cry out not in pain, but in praise. I pray that you would soften our hearts to the things that you would actually have us do and help us to make the changes, not for a week, but for a life. That will bring glory to your name, that will better caretake this earth for future generations, and that will lead others to Christ by our example. We trust in your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. I pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're dismissed.